Bring it in, everybody. Read option on a lo- loaded day today. We have so much to get into. It's honestly, uh, it- it's like primetime football. We got, we know what our playoffs are. We had a national championship last night. And I'm not solo today. I have the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Sanvito with me. Vito, how are you, buddy? I'm great. I'm great. It's great to be here. We're in the sweet spot of football where we just had the end. The last red zone right after is a Mm. national championship. And then next week we have super wild card weekend Uh, again, because of um, a couple things here, obviously the schedule extending it's a week later, but the coolest part about this is again, last year we switched to um, seven teams on each side of the, of the bracket AFC has seven teams, NFC has seven teams. So we have six games this weekend, two mm-hmm. Saturday, three Sunday, and a Monday. This is going to be awesome. It's so it's so great because you're just sitting down and watching. Like, you can focus in on each game specifically. You know, like, you can just yeah. lock yeah. in one game, and then that one's over. And then guess what? There's another game right after that. And then that one's over. And guess what? There's another game right after that. And on, like, Sunday, it's 1 o'clock, 4 p.m. Then the sun, And you're it's just nine hours of football. But instead of the, which I love red zone, you know, don't cry because it's over small because it happened. RIP red zone. We'll see you next year. But like, I love being able to sit down and just focus on one game and not have to jump between game and game. Like during college football season, I love the madness, but there is something awesome about the simplicity of just sitting down, watching a game, start to finish that one ends, get 20 minute break, go take a piss, go get another beer go cook some food and then you're back and you got another one rolling right into the next. And then we also get a Monday night playoff game. Like that's the other part of this too, which until last year, we had never had Monday night football in the play in the, uh, the postseason. And now we get a Monday night game, which I don't, would you rather have three on Saturday, three on Sunday? Or do you like, cause I, if my team was the Monday night game, I would kind of be pissed. I'm not going to lie. Like it's one less I, game. Yeah. Of, I would one be less day of recovery and, and everything else. But I guess if you lose, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, I personally think um, my lifestyle, I would rather have the three on Saturday, three on Sunday. But then again, I, I like this for most of America because a lot of people have chores they want to do Saturday morning and, and obligations and football. I feel like the NFL is like, you know what? It's a, and they have to make sure there's at least spot. Yeah, we have yeah. to make sure there's at least six <laughs> hours on Saturday morning that your, your ass isn't like making imprints and sweating into your couch. Like you got to have at least something else you can do. Yeah, the go amount of guys. Errands. Yeah, the amount of guys this Friday, guys and girls, whoever's a diehard football fan that are going to be like, I got to get to bed early. Got a long <laughs> day tomorrow. Like there are going to be some people waking up, getting stuff done so that they can have Again, the the six hours on Saturday, yeah, nine hours on Sunday, and three on Monday. It's it's gonna. I mean, be we great. have until four thirty, right? And that's what they would call uh, the kind of like the Sacco Bowl, right? Of the of the playoffs, it's Raiders Bengals, which you know, it's. I think it'll be an entertaining game if nothing else, right? I, 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 think, I think I think it'll be good. I think it's it's the game where it's like I don't think either either of these teams are gonna win the Super Bowl or or I mean I could see the Bengals maybe making a run to the uh you know the AFC Championship game but like I just feel like crazy shit's gonna happen in that game and I feel like it's a good way to start off uh start off the playoffs but we'll get into that on Friday's pod which will be all three of us and we're gonna do full preview breakdown each game uh, we're gonna talk prop bets we're gonna talk over unders spread obviously all that stuff as well as actually break down the game uh betting in the playoffs is fun but i did make this rule i was talking to my roommate about this last night i am no longer 
ever, now that gambling has become legalized in a lot of different states, I'm never betting on a national championship or a Super Bowl. Ever. Or like the semifinals and, and AFC championship really? games. Ever. Because what? you you wait all year for this pinnacle moment, right? And for me as a football fan, I just want to enjoy it. Like, I just want to sit down and enjoy the game and not have a vested interest unless my team's playing it. Like, if the Eagles in the Super Bowl, I'm not going to bet, but I have a, a vested interest in it. If I'm just sitting down, like, for the national championship game last night, which we're about to dive into, like, I didn't bet a single thing. I just wanted to watch the game and enjoy it and not feel like I was being, like, because I got so mad at myself for betting on the Chiefs last year in the Super Bowl that it, like, kind of ruined it for me. And like, oh, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to go through that again and, and get pissed because I picked the wrong team. I just want to be able to enjoy the Mecca of the Super Bowl national championship and the, you know, the semifinal games. That's um, a good point. I like that. I like that take actually, especially in the bigger games, just enjoy yeah. them. I, I bet on dumb stuff. Yeah. Bet on the coin tosses, right? Yeah. Like, do that Super Bowl. You want to do like yeah. prop bets and stuff like, yeah, go for it. Like that, that stuff's <laughs> fun. Like we used to do prop bets my dad would would do a whole list and but they would involve like commercials and stuff so it'd be like what quarter will oh. a talking animal appear in a commercial you know or That's like good you know uh, yeah like just random stuff like that and uh, obviously like the national anthem how long that goes like all that mm-hmm. stuff's fun the gatorade is the classic one that a lot of people like to do um but again all of that will be covered on uh friday's pod and i do think betting wild card and divisional weekend is a lot of fun because you you get a bunch of games you can kind of figure some stuff out and uh overthink it to death before the game actually starts uh but <laughs> we had a national championship last night dude yes yes we, we had, did and not only that we had a good national championship game it's been you could argue four years since we've had a really good national championship right three years ago was uh trevor lawrence and they beat uh yeah. Uh, Alabama, right? And they won that game pretty comfortably. That was the third installment of the Bama-Clemson rivalry. The year after that, we had the LSU shit pumping of everybody in college football. <laughs> and then last year, we had Bama and Ohio State, and Bama rolled Ohio State in that game. So to have this game, and obviously everything leading up to it, the history of the Tua throw to Devontae Smith, the walk-off. Uh, we, we saw the SEC championship game in 2018 when – Tua gets hurt and Jalen Hurts came back in and that was the Justin Fields fake punt game, you know, when the only time they use Justin Fields is for a fake punt and then shocker, he decides to transfer and goes to Ohio State and ends up having a fantastic career there. Uh, And then, you know, the SEC title game this year where Georgia comes out and they're this world beater and and everyone thinks they're going to dominate and then they get the shit kicked out of them all leading up to this game. And there's a bunch of different little things we can go into and, and I intend on it, but I'm curious for you, like what stood out going into this game? Uh, did you have Bama, Georgia? Like, where were you, where was your mindset heading in? And then what did you think of the overall game itself? So going in, I, I was thinking, I think what a lot of people had seen in statistics going around, obviously is like, you know, no team top five matchup um, that played twice in a year. No team that had ever won once won the second time, right? Won mm-hmm. the first time, won the second time. It, 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 they're basically everyone's one and one in those in those matchups. Um, it was the and, fifth time in college football history that yeah. undefeat that yeah two teams ranked in the top five, right? Isn't that wasn't that the stat? Yes, played yeah, again. Had, yeah, yes, and 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 in general, I always relate this to the NFL. Think about you know you play your divisional opponents twice a year. How often do you really get to sweep them? I mean, you get it when like the Chiefs are on top, going crazy, you know, but. 
look around the NFL and a lot of times you're splitting those divisional games. Teams know you. And mm. I think that's why it's different. You learn a lot more from a loss and a win. So I was just looking for what Georgia was going to do different. You knew they were going to play better at, at like on the line of scrimmage. I think Alabama really at points in that SEC championship game dominated them on the lines a little bit and, and beat them up. And it, it, the surprise to me in this game was the rushing yards. I mean, Georgia controlled the ball and was able to run and Bama really couldn't get it going. The, the difference here, Georgia had 140, which isn't a, a, you know, a lot, but Bama only had 30 rushing yards. Yeah. And, and I actually liked the game plan from O'Brien because it's not like you're going to run it up the middle every time on this Georgia defensive line. Um, but their backs, even the Bama backs didn't look bad, which was the crazy part. It was just like, they had incredible players on that Georgia side. And I think the defenses were what I was excited to see and loved seeing both of them perform well. Um, you know, I, I think from a, I'll say this from a penalty and, and like special teams perspective, it, it really, it didn't make the difference in the game, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. this game was decided by the offense and defense. And I love that. Um, and it's specifically Georgia's defense. Yeah, and, and even the the Stetson Bennett fumble that you know the guy from Bama, you know, in the fourth quarter it was a Christian Harris. He pulls in, and his foot is in by like a half an yes. inch at best, and he didn't even think it was a live ball, so he wasn't even trying. It just, but like they made the right call there. Like yeah, in that and the did. angle of the slow mo, you could see the ball starting to slip out of Stetson Bennett's hand as he's bringing it back, which is why when it came forward, it just was like kind of flipping backwards and then took a couple of weird bounces. But like even that call, you can't argue. Like it was a no. shitty break and it was so close from not counting because the fumble recovery could have he easily again half an inch, if that you know, was the difference between yeah. him being out of bounds and being inbounds. And he, again, wasn't even trying to really keep his feet in bounds. He just got lucky because they all thought it was a dead ball on the field. And, and, and I think what's incredible about his play there is that's that's muscle memory. You know, when coaches say like, oh, you need to do this for muscle memory and all that stuff. I believe in my heart of hearts that he like had the ball. And, you know, naturally, sometimes you're walking, you're playing catch with a friend. You just like tap your toes real quick yeah. for like a sidewalk crack or yeah. whatever it is. I feel like he just without that was just like, oh, let me just get one foot yeah, in here. Just and, one like, foot, sneak it in naturally because he wasn't looking right. He didn't try. But like it, that yeah. was an incredible play. I mean, and, and it's a great point on the right. I think Bama knew going into this game, like we're not going to be able to run the ball the way that you could against Cincinnati. Right. I've been saying on the pod the last few weeks, the reason Cincinnati Got you know Cincinnati and Georgia are polar opposites in how that and what they do well, right? Cincinnati has elite corners on the outside. They have two you know first or second round picks on the outside yeah. playing cornerback, arguably the best cornerback in the draft besides Greedy Williams, who is a little banged up and didn't have a great year this year anyway, but still will probably be the first corner taken. So they were the first cornerbacks that could really challenge the Alabama wide receiver. So Bama said, fine, we're just going to run it up the gut and Brian Robinson's going to get 200 yards and we know that we can beat you on the interior. Bama, you know, they have a young offensive line. They have some rid their left tackles, an absolute unit in his was yeah. by right now is projected to be like a top 20 pick. But other than that, they have a very young offensive line, talented, obviously. But you're going up against one of the best front sevens we've seen in college football, you know, since like the Dante Hightower and, you know, Quinn and Williams, like yeah. those teams at, yeah. you know, over the last pick, whatever Alabama team that was amazing on defense in the last few years. Um, what I found really interesting was, Right off the bat, Bama's defense came out to play. Like Bama's defense was down the throat of Georgia. They, I thought Bama played was especially before the Jameson Williams injury, which sucks. And 
completely changed how Alabama could attack this game. You know, they, they were down already, John Mechie, and then their other – I mean, Jameson Williams too. Like, that dude had worked himself into being a top 15 pick in the draft this year. Tears what looks like is a torn ACL, though it hasn't been confirmed yet um, on, on the field. Like, that's just heartbreaking for the kid who's, you know, transferred from Ohio State and worked his way up to basically being the number one deep threat and, and skill guy there for Alabama. He leaves the game. Now you're relying on freshmen who are five stars, but they're also freshmen, like really yeah. unexperienced guys. And Alabama, in yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in the national championship against one of the best defenses that we've seen in a long time. And Georgia, you know, offensively, they struggled in the first half. You know, if it was, they had that one 52 yard pass, the deep ball to George Pickens, which was an incredible catch. He ended up yeah. with one catch in that game, but that was again, huge momentum shift. It was a second and long. He chucks it deep and it was an unbelievable catch and flipped the game. But other than that, Georgia's defense wasn't getting a lot. The front seven for Alabama was causing pressure, making Stetson Bennett uncomfortable in the first half. Every single possession started within the first three plays had a negative play, whether by sack or by penalty. So Georgia was constantly shooting themselves in the foot in the first half, and Bama was keeping the pressure on. The difference for me in this game was the way Georgia came out in the second half on the offensive line. They absolutely bulldozed, punished, bullied the Alabama front four right right off the bat they came out in the second half and drove the ball right down the field right and, and they ended in a field goal but they still managed to absolutely control that then they get the interception on the other side they go down and score the touchdown at that point it's like okay this game is actually on now like we might actually see a, a yeah. real finish here and i i cannot say enough i was sitting there watching with my roommate and just being like dude georgia's offensive line just came to life like just absolutely bulldozing these guys and that's when the running game started going with white and cook you know mm -hmm. uh, zeus white great nickname uh yeah. 13 carries 84 yards he had the touchdown cook ended up with six carries for 77 including the 167 yard run which again was huge and at that point as the game's progressing the turnovers are ended up what what really made the difference right stetson bennett had a ended up winning the mvp it was kind of tough. Like, who do you give it to? You go 17 to 26 for 224 yards, two touchdowns, but no interceptions outside of the one fumble. He took care of the ball. And then the defense, I mean, Alabama kicked from the two yard line twice in this game. I was going to say times within the, the red for zone. me. Yeah. The key for me of this entire game in the storyline is that first half and Alabama's red zone offense. I mean, they like they were dominating the game, but they couldn't get it in. Mm -hmm. Right. They could not figure out a way to get seven on the board. And if you keep piling threes, you know, you, you can come back from that quick if you're Georgia and, and it takes, you know, it keeps the game close yeah. and uh, Bama had the chance to, to, you know, pull away a little bit in the first half and they didn't. And mm -hmm. I think that was the big difference because if, if Georgia's playing by down 17, 14, it, they're playing different, you know, mm -hmm. they're probably like, especially in the third and the fourth, like we'll see how this, yeah, as this game got closer towards the end, if it was a little further, Georgia's going to get out of their element a little bit. And, and I think that would have changed the way the game was played. 100%. And, and Bama, without a doubt, just couldn't get it done the first half. What, like, what did you, when you were watching that, right? Like, were you feeling the feeling of, because I was starting to feel the feeling of, they're not, like, when they have momentum, they're not capitalizing enough. Yeah. Like, did, did you feel that? You know, you see I, that in I games? did. I did. Yeah. But Alabama's defense played so well in the first half that I thought, it doesn't necessarily matter. I thought this was going to be yeah. like, because I thought it was going to be, you know, whoever kind of gets in. And actually when Bryce Young threw the touchdown pass is one that 
which was a crazy throw he threw yeah. as he's sprinting out to the tight end. Like I, I said, I was like out loud. I was like, I knew it was coming. Like that to me was like, oh, this is when Bama separates. But they didn't have the guys outside. Like you can't beat Georgia on the ground. The only way you can you can challenge Georgia is through the air. And Bryce Young threw the ball 57 times in this game. He, st- he threw for 370 yards, right? Like he, he, he made cool. two mistakes. The first interception was bad. That was a bad throw. The second one, I felt like he was – that whole series before the, the pick six, he threw – uh, or maybe it might have been another one, but they had moved the ball down. They got up to about the 50, and it was a first and 10. They took a shot to the outside, and the wide receiver was there. It looked like a little bit of a P.I. The cornerback uh, held his arm back, but he did a good job of kind of, of kind of hiding it. So the wide receiver only had one arm for it, and he kind of lost track of the ball, couldn't haul it in. And then he goes back. You could tell he was frustrated because it was there, and he took two more shots that were ill-advised throws, and one of them gets picked off. And And there were certain elements where I felt like, Bryce Young was uncharacteristically pushing the ball and forcing the ball in spots that he didn't need to. He went a little bit too hero ball, but when you can't run the ball and you're going to be in second and nine anyway, I also get it. But George's defense just continuously put pressure like at every turn, whether it was Nicobe Dean or Nolan Smith or, or Jordan Davis wreaking havoc in the middle, they were finding ways to just absolutely dismantle that Alabama offensive line to a point where Jordan or, uh, Bryce Young was scrambling around for his life, throwing to freshman wide receivers who are, were completely inexperienced. Like it was all set up kind of stacked against Bama in the second half. But again, Georgia doesn't win. Like, even with that, I still think uh, Bama would have won if Georgia's offensive line didn't come out and control and dominate the game that they did. Because at that point they were able to go on long sustainable drives and, and make it easy for Stetson Bennett to then, hey, I'm going to take a shot here, hit a – I mean, that touchdown pass, the 40-yarder, was on to Mitchell, unbelievable throw and catch. Mm-hmm. Like, just – he went up and got it, mossed the shit out of him. And then the Brock Bowers touchdown, you know, was a little bit of a broken coverage that, again, when you're selling so much to stop the run because you're not getting the push up front, you're going to get broken coverages in the back, and ultimately that's what kind of separated it. I uh, totally agree. And, and going back to your point um, – you know, about just, I think about the forcing the ball, right? Like you, you said, he, Bryce Young had no run game, a limited run game. And is having to, like, you have to throw it through 57 times. But what, like, when did Jamison Williams go down? Uh, mid, midway through the second quarter. I was going to say, because in the end, like, I could totally see that frustration building for him. Like you said, like, I, I didn't see at the time. What I'm saying now is I can see, like, Okay, my star, like I got my main wide receivers are gone. Yeah. I'm playing with who I have and I can't run the ball. And like I got, it's up to me. I got to just make something happen and I'm going to start taking shots. And if you know, like one thing about Nick Saban and his teams, that is not what they're built around. They have big plays, mm-hmm. but they're not built around like, we're going to force the ball. Like that's, that's not Bill O'Brien. That's yeah. Not and I don't really know what other options they would have had. Like, and yeah. that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't put this game on Bryce Young. You know, I've seen no. I've seen dumb Bama fans and stuff want to blame him for the interception stuff. And look, he made a couple of bad decisions, but also he was the only reason you scored a touchdown in the first place. Right. Like he was so good that that was the only difference. And this again, we talked about the kicking field goals, you know, twice Bama got stopped within the five and ended up settling on field goals. I mean, they had two 21 yard field goals on the books like <laughs> that is. And and you can say maybe they should have been more aggressive, but their defense was playing really well at that point. They were up nine to six at halftime. 
you know, I, I was, I guess more credit needs to be given to Georgia's defense in the red zone because yes. you're not going to be able to punch the ball in against those guys. I mean, even with, I thought they should have at least tried. I think they threw the ball three times from within their own five, like three times in a row. And, yeah. and, and I get it. Like, it's hard to do that, but Brian Robinson's a strong dude. You get the push, you have a fullback running up behind it. You know what I mean? Like you at least yeah. try to get that yard um, or, or at least try to maybe run it with Bryce Young, do something that's maybe a little bit different. So that way, because Georgia literally was just stacking the box with uh, on the goal line with their four guys. Like they were, they didn't even have to bring in extra guys so they could add other support. And there's one other aspect of the Georgia defense that I wanted to talk about, which is that, we talked about it, and, and and we saw it in the SEC championship game. Georgia got lit up in the secondary. Like, that yeah. was the difference. The, the Jamison Williams 70-yard touchdown pass, right, was a miscommunication. Like, they got burnt a few times. That was the big difference. And everyone for this whole week and leading into the college football playoff, the one thing everybody kept talking about was Georgia's actually kind of weak in the secondary. Like, you can attack them on the outside. And I think they took that personally. I think they said, I, I genuinely, I, I think when you put that much rat poison out there, as our buddy Nick Saban likes to call it, you know, I think to them, they were like, oh, yeah, we can't cover? Watch us. Now, granted, they're not going up against John Mechie or Jamison Williams, who, I mean, Jamison Williams had that, you know, got hurt on a 40-yard completion downfield. But for the most part, anytime they were in the red zone, Georgia had them clamped down. No options, nowhere for Bryce Young to go. And at that point, well, you can't run it from the five-yard line because you know you're not going to get in. And we're not going to be able to throw it because they're playing such good defense in the red zone and good coverage in the red zone. Take the points. And that was kind of the mindset of Bama. And so I think all of this, this whole game, has to just be credit to Georgia and Kirby Smart and Stetson Bennett, the walk-on, then turn junior college quarterback, then coming back bottom of the depth chart works his way up to all of a sudden being a starter between Jamie Newman opting out of the COVID season last year. And then JT Daniels transferring in and getting hurt. Like what an unbelievable story. Like it, it, it it's incredible. And also, did you see the clip? He was on good morning America this morning. Poor kid, man. He must've had 30 minutes no. of sleep. He was, <laughs> he was still drunk from last night. And he's being interviewed by Michael Strahan and Robin Roberts on Good Morning America. It was incredible. I have to check that out. So, and and I'll say this: there's my last point here before I want to um, switch gears. And if you have any other, you know, finishing thoughts, uh, you know, Saban going into this season was 24 and 0 against former assistants. I think that is symbolic of a lot of things um, in terms of how. Kirby Smart viewed this, right? It was an uh, unclimbable mountain, insurmountable, right? He's never lost. He beats every assistant, right? Jimbo Fisher breaks through this year and beats him. And I feel like that was an added weight off of Kirby Smart's shoulder. You know, it's, it's one yeah. less thing he has to carry, one less thing he has to hear about from media, one less thing that's on his mind that like Nick's, because to him, obviously it's more important, like Saban's beaten me every single time. But just that narrative, that question you get asked at every single press conference about, but you know, you know, what do you think? Saban's never lost to an assistant. Like that's just one less thing off the plate. And he almost kind of broke through like Jimbo Fisher walked so that Kirby smart could run to a national yeah. championship. I, I like that take. I mean, there's something about like at work, right? Think of if, whoever your boss is at work. And eventually if you had to like 
go toe to toe with them in a negotiation, or I don't know what the, what the deal is from another company. Like if they left or you left basically and grew somewhere and, and we're having some kind of argument, like for me, I'm in, in construction, just think about like being in a room and having that, that go back and forth. Like there's a level of respect you have. You worked for that person. They've taught you a lot, like, and, and going back to try and battle with them would be tough. And, mm-hmm. and like, there is something about that and, and the mentality and, and just what it does to, you know, I guess the approach of it. And, and that's so you can get psyched out yourself. They're not psyching you out. You're psyching yourself out. And yeah, like hundred percent, ha- it's a, it's a total mental hurdle. Like this yeah. whole game, like Georgia overcoming Bama is such a mental hurdle. And they did a really cool piece in the pregame that had Mike Urizioni, who was the center of the yeah. 1980, you know, Miracle on Ice. And they had Pedro Martinez in on it, you know, from the Red Sox. And they, they focused on the difference between the words enemy and nemesis. An enemy is like somebody that you have a back and forth with. You don't like, you butt heads, whatever. A nemesis is somebody that you continually go up against but can never overcome. Like a, a nemesis is, is an enemy that you never beat. And that's the way they shaped the whole, the whole like little five minute thing there. It was really well done. It was a cool piece that they did. And to finally overcome that, I I think is just, is just spectacular. Um, And, and I will say this for Saban too, talking about the former assistants, he had a really cool line afterwards in the press conference where they asked him about, you know, obviously you and Kirby won national championships together. You guys have been good friends for a long time. You know, what does it mean? You know, obviously it sucks to lose, but to see him win. And he said, he was like, I would, always rather lose to a former assistant than lose to uh you know a random coach he's like it yeah, just means Dabo, more to, yeah, <laughs> to see to see who or yeah Dabo or Ryan Day or anyone else he's yeah, like it just means more to see a former assistant do it and he was really happy for him which I thought was cool he also said a really some really cool things about Will Anderson and Bryce Young which I thought were um just real high class like for all of the Saban frustration because he just wins all the time I get it He's an objectively likable guy. Um, and, and I've yeah. always liked Satan a lot more than, you know, Belichick, but maybe that's just the Southern draw that, uh, that kind of sucks you in. The thing, um, the thing that stuck with me, my last thing was, was something he actually said before the game was like, when they were asking about what does it mean to be here again and all that stuff. And he was like, I'm really proud of the team. And he always, he does always deflect it back to the, to the team, but he just was talking about like, they have the opportunity to play a great team and be in this game. And like, just that opportunity is all they can ask for. And, and his approach of just like the, the doing being in it, that's why he's so successful. He loves doing it. So does Kirby smart. That's why they did it together for so long. And to have yeah. Kirby's, you know, his team that has been in it, get that opportunity again and, and come out on top. Just, just kudos to them, man. And, and uh, you know, if, if you're a Georgia fan, um, you deserve to go off for a week. A hundred percent, man. I mean, how about this too? I bet we always talk about like losing sports cities, right? Like, you know, like Minnesota has like never won a major sports championship. Detroit, you know, Cleveland for a long time. Uh, Atlanta was one of those cities, you know, and now within, you know, five months, four months of each other, they get the world series and they get the national championship. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good time. It's a good time to be in Atlanta, man. The ATL is hopping right now. I'm stoked. For, uh, for Georgia, Kirby Smart. But also, Vito, this whole season, I think, has been one of the best college football seasons I can – at least since I've been a fan. Like, I, I genuinely think it's been the best season. It, the parody was fantastic. Week in, week out, there was always an interesting topic. No team other than Georgia seemed like the clear-cut front. And then even still, you know, with the Michigan drama and Cincinnati and, and, and Notre Dame and then the coaching carousel and all of these things, it was just a spectacular season start to finish. 
So I'm, I'm curious, like if you can think of maybe one word or phrase, I don't know what, what rings to your, like what hops into mind when it comes to this, this 2021 college football season, which was undoubtedly ridiculously entertaining at least. Yeah. I think it was the change up uh, my thought. It's not just a word or phrase, but just the change up of the top four. I think that was fun. I think Bama losing early, right? Like just having that loss from AM was huge I th- for the whole country and mm-hmm. Cincinnati and what happened with them. And then obviously like Oklahoma up and down, it was, I think what we needed, um, you know, and then I think about all the talk about the super conferences and just Texas, Oklahoma, like we had a lot of things that had to do with football that will affect the future, not happen yet. And CAA football coming back. Like these are all big things that have, I associate with this football season, yeah. man, fans getting back to games. I mean, that's like, this like was the a big huge one, right? year, like- man. I mean, this was a huge year. Um, I got to go to the whiteout game at Penn state this year. And, and emotionally what that was like was something I I'll cherish forever. Uh, first, like, uh, you know, event back. And yeah, the anyway. significance of that was it's, you know, I mean, that's exactly it. Like to me, and it was corny when it started, but ESPN, you know, I know this from back channels and stuff, but ESPN's execs, when they were like coming up with what's the theme of our college football season was it's the year of the fan. Like, and that's mm-hmm. what it was. It was everybody coming back, the sport coming back, you know, amongst all the craziness of conference realignment, transfer portal, NIL, coaching carousel, all of this craziness that was going on, obviously like the NC, I mean, think about it, the NCAA case got, uh, you know, tried in front of the Supreme Court this summer, right? Like there was a lot <laughs> to go on. So to be able to sit down and just have good, fun, entertaining, and, and by far the most parody we've had in college football was spectacular. So I told you before we started recording that I have a surprise for you. Um, yes. And I'm very, <clears throat> very excited to share it. Um, I was tasked very last minute, I would add to uh, make a montage of the season audio wise. And uh, to me, it was, it was something I was, I was very excited to do. Um, I, again, I wish I had a little bit more time to put together, but it, it turned out well. And so uh, I pulled it from your crew and uh, for all of you listening at home, thanks for uh, hopping on with us, enjoying the season. This is the 2021 college football year in review. First of all, uh, what an unbelievable crowd tonight. I've never seen it like that. It was different. We are back! We are back! Burmeister straight drop. Now looking out to the right. Now throwing on the run. Touchdown! Hey, bring your ass on. Bring your ass on, you little sissy blue shirt. The LSU fans, 20,000 of them, they're heading home at 0-1. Rolling right, lobs down, field! It's one of the most unbelievable grabs you will ever see. A one-handed interception for T.J. Graham. Wow! It's been 651 days. Get your popcorn ready. Santa turning the corner at the 20, to the 25, and the 30. He's lost his hat and being chased by Johnny Big Lunch in a security outfit. I think this is a dangerous team, and I think this is a little bit of a trap game for us. It is up, and the fight in Texas Aggies take down the top-ranked Tide. 
Looking deep, steps up in the pocket. Gonna wing it for the end zone for Mims. He comes back for it. He caught it! He caught it! Isn't it in? No signal yet! Touchdown! Oh, in motion, Navarro. Fake. Peters rolls to the end zone. It is caught! It is caught! Yes! And it's good! Yes! I mean, I completely hate candy corn. Uh, the, uh, you know, they have those nerds clusters, which is new. Yeah, which is good. The nerds clusters is good. We're in the season right now. We'll do recruiting after the season. When it gets this recruiting time, we can talk about recruiting. He's free, Philly all Johnson at the 10, at the 5, touchdown! How do you not make the tackle on 4th and 10? McNamara gets the snap, gives it to Haskins. Haskins scores untouched from the four-yard line. It feels like the best one, you know. Um. <laughs> Accelerating. Here comes the defender. They're not going to get there. Jamison Williams, touchdown, Alabama. Zero losses. Zero doubts. The UC Bearcats are unbeaten. For the second time, look at the rematch. It's the same one it was the first time. Georgia and Alabama will meet in Indianapolis, Indiana on January 10th for college football's big prize. I've never been around a group of players that really wanted it so bad. He's got a man running open. That's Pickens. He leaves his feet and brings it in. Oh, my gosh. What a catch. We got the jumbo package on the field, folks. Jordan Davis, Darnell Washington, Jalen Carter. Bennett going to hand it off to Zamir. Drives it behind those big, massive bodies. Touchdown, Georgia. The dogs take the lead. Pressure from the edges. He throws near sideline. And it's intercepted. Intercepted. Keely Ringo on the 21. Off he goes. 40, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Near sideline. Breaks the tackle. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. 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 The final second ticks away. And how of an appropriate ending is that? We sack Young on the last play of the game. Dogs are winners. A national championship for a new generation of Bulldogs. And a little devil went down to Georgia to wrap things up. What do you think? That was awesome. That was awesome. That was so great. I love all the different sounds. I forgot some of them, but just hearing some of those those, uh, press conference clips that make you laugh all, all the, the different news stories throughout the year. Um, man, that was, that was awesome. Thanks for putting that together, man. Uh, for sure. I'm ha- it's the fun stuff I get to do with my job sometimes, man. I mean, it was, it was great. If you remember like enter Sandman, Virginia tech played in on Friday night, they played UNC week one and enter mm-hmm. Sandman was just unbelievable. And then, you know, coach show, did you see blue shirts? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, and the, and the LSU fans, 20,000 of them go home 0-1. Such a great call. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got Lane Kiffin, get your popcorn ready. Mike Leach talking about candy corn and nerds gummies and all sorts of craziness. And then on top of it, too, just some spectacular plays. You know, that Oklahoma one-handed interception uh, early on. Yeah. I think that was in the Nebraska game. Um, 
I remember sending that one to you and Scotty and just oh. being like, holy shit, what did we just see? Uh, you know, the Marvin Mims and the, the Red River rivalry, right? Yes. That catch was unbelievable from Caleb Williams coming in. I had to throw in one, you know, the Illini nine overtime. It, it was a big, I mean, nine overtime game happened this year. Yeah. Like that's crazy. It had I to mean, be. I've, I've locked it out of my mind, but it, yeah, it happened. <laughs> had to be included. Um, yeah, that was a, t- no, it was a ton of fun putting that together. My host literally called me as I'm pulling into work yesterday and goes like, Hey, what, do you think you might be able to do this? And I was like, uh, normally I like to take like, it would normally take me about four or five hours to put something like that together to go through all of the sound. I like to put a lot of thought into it. And I had about 20 minutes heads up before the show and got it done in about an hour and a half, Um, but it turned out really well. So I was very happy with it. And um, again, just an unbelievable college football season from start to finish. It was, it was incredible. And it ends with the Georgia Bulldogs hoisting up the, uh, the national championship trophy. So congrats, Georgia, Athens, Atlanta, and uh, the whole state of Georgia, your dogs are national champions first time since 1980—41 40, years removed. How about it? All right, quick break. We're gonna come back. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about Week 18, the tie that wasn't, the almost tie heard around the world. Uh, teams, you know, resting guys, and uh, we'll also talk about Black Monday. Six head coaches as of now have been fired in total on the season. That means there are six job openings. So lots to get into and monitor uh, as we, you know, because I think most of those jobs will get full by the time we hit the Super Bowl. So uh, we'll be all over it. We'll come back right after this. All right. So week 18 was, it was not short of drama. And no. um, <laughs> for something that I thought, is it really necessary going into this week? Like I was, I actually said this on the pod. You might be a little ashamed of me, Vito. On um, was it Friday's pod? I kind of was like, I don't know if we need it. Like I was almost kind of tired of regular season football going into week 18. And boy, was I wrong, man. I mean, I, and I don't know if all the drama in the AFC is directly attributed to the fact that week eight, you know, there's a week 18, but it definitely helped. Right. I mean, like, the Broncos be or the Chiefs losing to Cincinnati, and then all of a sudden that game, like all that stuff matters. They have one more game. If Tennessee loses, all of a sudden maybe they can sneak into the one seed. Like there, there were so many different outcomes that I, I found it really, really interesting. Um, and I'm glad that we had it because it definitely has changed up some of what we've done here. Uh, and and having two games on Saturday was great. I always love that when they do that towards the end of the season. Um, both of our squads played on yeah. Saturday. Your Broncos put up a hell of a fight. Drew Locke praying he's going to get hung on to for another year. I mean, I still think the dude's kind of gotten a, a bit of a raw deal, even though I know he I hasn't too. been fantastic. Um, but then you leave the game, and before night's end, Vic Fangio loses his job. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, you know, he had – it was a couple of years. Um, there were a lot of things for, that he was doing well with the defense and building the roster, but – I think once, um, so we have a new, uh, Patton, our new GM, he, uh, he came in, he had that great video in the draft last year about, uh, like he was talking to his kid and telling him who they're going to draft before they do, just cause he was asking. And this is like, he, he's a very relaxed, personable guy and, uh, bringing him in last year, you knew this was kind of going to be an interesting year, right? First year yeah. for a GM has an existing coach. 
And at the end of the GMs year, GMs always, when they come in, they always want to have their own coach. Like it's, they do. you have to be really good as a head coach when there's a new GM and really have a great relationship in order for that relationship to stay. Cause new, new GMs are always going to be able to pick their guy. Exactly. So uh, at that point, you know, you kind of knew this was a possibility. Uh, it was a disappointing season. It just was, I don't like some of the decisions that Vic Fangio made. And, um, you know, I, I just think that I'm excited because there's not, Six teams isn't that many, honestly, like compared to some years, like there could be a lot more, but six availabilities with the amount of coaching talent out there. Um, like we were talking about, obviously, like Doug Peterson is a super winning coach who is just available. And that is very rare. He's not doing network TV. He's not being an analyst. Like he's just, yeah. he's, he's, he was on Rosillo's pod and, and had a really interesting interview. He talked about some of the Carson stuff and, and which, you know, he had never really gone that public with a whole lot. And he was pretty conservative with what he said. But the bottom line is he basically just sat home and studied all year, you know, studied the league, what's going on, figuring like, hey, there's going to be an op. Like he knew he didn't want to immediately get another coaching job. So he, take, he took a gap year. He was like, you know, the, the, and I think that's the awesome. recent high school graduate who doesn't know yeah. what they want to do with their life, who wants to go backpack through Europe. That's basically what the football equivalent of what uh, <laughs> Doug Peterson did, or he did the football equivalent. Um, yeah, it, look, it, it's tough. I think Vic Fangio is a really good coach, but He's a he got his shot right as a head coach. He's yeah. undoubtedly like a top five off defensive coordinator, um, arguably yes. a top five defensive mind, if not higher than that in, in football. And there's going to be a team that goes out there and throws a bunch of money at him to come in and fix their defense. And if I was the Eagles and it's funny, too, because the Eagles, you know, Jonathan Gannon, their D.C. is actually getting interviews for head coaching jobs, which is just unbelievable to me, like the numbers are very clear that they're on defense such a significant less amount of time because of how much the Eagles have been running the football, which skews all of the defensive numbers away. So it's like, uh, this is, I, I don't know, whatever. I, I, I hope the team makes about. the mistake and the Eagles can go hire <laughs> Vic Fangio to come in and That's be the it. defensive coordinator. That's what essentially what I'm bowling. You down take here our coach. Too. We'll take your old one and yeah. we'll all be happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but the Broncos look, it's a great organization. Obviously the John Elway stuff for a long time has been hanging over the head. I think he was a little drunk with power. Um, and, and I think he just wasn't, you know, he had the moxie to bring in Peyton and Peyton elevated everybody around him and they invested a lot of pieces on the defense. And then you get that, you know, those two Super Bowl, uh, you know, mm -hmm. appearances one, you get ship pumped by the Seahawks, but then the other one, you get to do the ship pumping of the, of the Panthers, which is, you know, you'll, you'll trade a decade for a Super Bowl as a fan. Like you, yes. you should, uh, at least five years. I mean, that's the Bill Simmons rule, right? You get five years after a Super Bowl, after championship to complain or that you're not allowed to complain about your team and then you're allowed to complain. Yes. Yeah. So if you're the, but if you're the Broncos, you're like, all right, we've, we've gone through a couple coaches since the Kubiak thing sucked, right? He stepped down and, mm -hmm. and that was unfortunate. And then um, patch was a Pat Sherman. No, who was the head coach after Kubiak? It was uh, Vance Joseph, Vance Joseph, who also got a raw deal. I thought, I mean, he was only there for what, two seasons. Yeah. Um, and then you go and you get, you know, Vic Fangio and I don't know, maybe new GM. You think about an offensive guy. Would you rather, would you lean offense or defense right now as a fan? I would lean offense, honestly, because I think we have more weapons there. I think we have right now, our defense is very good, but I think the talent on offense is um, underperforming and you need mm -hmm. an offensive coach, a great coach to get the most out of them. That's what I'm looking for. The defense is talented and they're playing well, 
the offense is talented and they're not. So that's yeah. why I for think the amount of weapons, like young weapons on offense, the yeah. lack of development has been a con- I actually talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's definitely concerning. And obviously, like, look, no KJ Hamler this year. That sucked. Um, and, and he was going to be basically the guy who helps take the top off the defense. But they just paid Cortland Sutton. They paid Tim Patrick, you know, on a good contract. And Jerry yeah, Judy, Judy, you know, was a first round pick. Like you, you took him, what, 15 overall, 17 yeah, overall, something no like fans, that. The first round pick, Javante Williams, obviously, is, is a great running back. I think yeah. we're all And then that. you spent a first round pick on Drew Locke, too. And that mm-hmm. hasn't necessarily worked out either yet to this point. So I, I, I agree with you. I think you have to lean offense uh, and definitely invest on the offensive line. The Chiefs, on the other hand, they're squarely in the two seed. They're getting ready for the playoffs. Uh, I think it's a huge that, – that Cincinnati game is just massive because it completely has shifted the, the dynamic of power, right? It, it'd be so much different if the road to the Super Bowl ran through Arrowhead as opposed to now it's being run through Nashville. And, and the Chiefs, again, it's Mahomes, it's Tyreek Hill, who was a little banged up in that game, so hopefully he stays healthy enough and be able to go. Um, but for – and I get the Chiefs went on that sick running – you know, that sick winning streak, and they were unbelievable – I still think they're beatable. Like I, I still think Mahomes has to play great in order for them to be a Super Bowl caliber team. And I even still like if you look at some of the best teams around the league, I still think they're at least a half step below what you see in Green Bay, who now has David Bakhtiari and Jair Alexander back. You know, so I, the ceiling for them is still a Super Bowl because you have Patrick Mahomes. I just yeah. think it's going to be a lot tougher of a playoff run for them to get there. Yeah, like gut, gut take. Do you think the Chiefs win the Super Bowl? Yes or no? No, I agree. And that's, this is the first year I've said that in three years. And, I, and I'll say this too. I don't even know if they make it to the AFC chan- or to the Super Bowl, if they make it to the yes, Super Bowl. Yes, I agree. I don't even think that I, I agree. There's something going on there. It's been an off year. Um, and when they've been good, like again, during that seven game winning streak, they were unbelievable. Yeah. Like yes, they were they and can... the defense was incredible, but the Broncos moved the ball. Like the, the, the chiefs played bad defense in this, in that game. And I don't know if it was like a, Hey, we don't have a whole lot to play for. You know, there's a chance we get the one seed, but Tennessee would have to lose to Houston. So that's not likely. And they just weren't fully locked in, but they were missing tackles. They were missing. I mean, Drew Locke had two rushing touchdowns in which he got hit multiple times on both of them, you know, and Drew Locke's a pretty good athlete, but you know, we're not talking about Lamar Jackson or Jalen hurts here. Right. You know, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about a guy who can just kind of scramble a little bit and run like a chicken with his head cut off. And, and the chiefs just didn't seem all that interested in playing uh, the level of defense they had leading up to that game, uh, especially against what objectively is a bad offense. Like the Broncos shouldn't have scored 24 points in that game. They just shouldn't. Have. Um, but again, it's Mahomes, it's Hill, it's Kelsey. It, you know, they always seem to have enough of those skill guys. The running back room is, is a nice little group of mini Brian Westbrooks that, you know, Andy <laughs> Reed can use like he used to in Philly. And, and the chiefs are absolutely, I mean, I would still say they're the favorite to win the AFC, but it's nowhere near a lock. Um, the other game we had on Saturday was Cowboys Eagles. The only thing I really want to touch on in this game is it's nauseating how people in the media write about the Cowboys. And I get it. It's the biggest fan base. It, it's the, the loudest fan base. It's the one that's going to get the most clicks and stuff. But the amount of times, like I saw ESPN had a headline that was like Cowboys win statement game in Philly a Saturday night. And I'm like, the Eagles played. Three starters. They had Jason Kelsey in for one snap just so he could continue his consecutive games played streak or started streak. And then Devontae Smith until he broke the Eagles rookie receiving record and they pulled him early in the second quarter. On defense, there were zero starters. Zero. TJ Edwards was activated, but he didn't play. 
like, can we stop acting like the fact that it was a 17-17 game late in the second quarter with Dak Prescott getting having to punt multiple times against backups? Like, and I get it. He finishes with five touchdowns. They put up 51 points. It ends up looking great. They were playing against practice squad guys. The Eagles had 12 players out with COVID on the COVID list. I, I just, I agree with everything you're saying. There's something about the Cowboys that pisses me off extra. Yes. I don't know what it is. And I'm not a Philly fan. Like I, I'm, I'm here, but this happened way back before this. And I think it's just like, claiming themselves as America's, as America's team. team. I knew that's it's where always you were going. gotten yeah. that me. Like I, I just, cause they offered it to the Steelers at first, like yes. NFL films went to the Steelers first when they first wanted to do it back in the seventies. And then they were like, no, we're Pittsburgh. We're not America's team. We're Pittsburgh. And then the Cowboys are like, yeah, no, we're America's team. That's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it. Let's go. And, and it's just, you know, yeah, anyway. And look, so. the Cowboys have a ton of weapons, right? I mean, no, Michael Gallup sucks, but you still have Amari yeah. Cooper. You still have Michael Gallup. Dak played until the fourth quarter. Like, what are we talking about here is this is all of a sudden some big statement game. And I love, like, Eagles Twitter can sometimes, like, it's easy to get them going. Cowboys fans were trying so hard to trigger Eagles fans, and they were just, like, laughing at them. They're like, dude, you're playing our practice squad. Like, we actually don't care about this game. Yeah. Like, we, we genuinely don't care what <laughs> yeah, happens. Yeah, it's not. It's we, we decided this game isn't worth playing. Yeah. Literally is what the organization was, like, yeah. made. The other uh, thing so from funny. that game is it, it kind of shut up the – you know, Gardner Minshew should be starting over Jalen Hurts crowd, which I has gotten a lot quieter. You know, obviously mm-hmm. when, when Minshew played in the Jets game, he lit it up. And everyone's like, oh, maybe, you know, Gardner Minshew should be the starter. No, he went up against the starting Cowboys defense and uh, he wasn't awful, but he, he did not look good. And uh, yeah, that kind of stopped that argument. Um, Bengals Browns, nothing really to take away from this game. Um, it is interesting, though. You know, there seems to be a lot of drama going on in Cleveland right now with, uh, you know, obviously Baker and Stefanski. And there are these reports that, you know, Baker and is at odds with Kevin Stefanski. And, and it just seems really fake. You know, I, I've, I've voiced my frustration with the Browns fans a lot on this pod because I just – it's like, it's okay. Like, you guys won eight games. It was a disappointing year. And your quarterback had two – tore his rotator cuff two different times this season. You know, like – Maybe we just like pump the brakes here a little bit on, on freaking out and, and just you already have them locked into the fifth year extension um, that, you know, coming from the rookie deal, you can decide whether or not you want to pay them next year. You know, the, it, I, you have to keep going back with this and, and the defense is still good. You're not getting crushed by the, you know, the big time number. And again, like you win eight games in a tough division with a tough schedule, you know, with a quarterback who was playing with one arm and I, to me, it's just, why are we, why is everyone losing their mind over this? You know, like, I, I don't know. That's just me. Like injured Baker was as good as Case Keenum. So it's like already that means uninjured Baker is, is better than Case Keenum, right? Healthy Baker is better than that. So yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's much more to get into there other than I, agree. I, I think and, and Andrew Barry, their GM came out and said, we fully expect Baker to be the starting quarterback <laughs> next year. I'd be shocked if he gets traded. Um, but Browns fans, again, just, just chill. All right. See if there's, you know, maybe the, just the guy, you know, who has some of that green stuff, maybe just in, you know, relax a little. Okay. I mean, that might do you better. Um, yeah, I mean, don't freak out. It's going to be okay. If you don't want Baker, many teams will have them. So yes. just They're, remember, yes. remember all the other quarterbacks you had before him and just, just take a minute and reflect. You beat that. the Steelers in the playoffs in Pittsburgh with him a year ago, like yeah. this time last year. And like again, up. just, and blew the yeah, it was like 44 to 10 or something. It was a blowout. 
And Big Ben was sitting crying on the sideline afterwards, like literally. So again, yeah, it's just, just everybody take a deep breath. It's going to be fun. Um, Packers Lions. The only thing to touch on with this game is just, you look at a team like the Giants who are four and 12, and then the Lions who are three, 13 and one. And the difference in how both of those teams look watching, right? If you just look at the numbers and the stats over the course of the season, you're like, oh, there's not a huge difference between these teams, right? But the eye test with them is night and day. One team cares and wants to win every single game. Like they came out like they wanted to beat the Packers. Even if it was Jordan Love in the second half, they were like, we are beating Green Bay in this game. We're making this happen. Even if we lose the one seed, we don't care because winning is more important. And to get that buy-in in week 18 for a three and third, or at the time they were a two 13 and one team is remarkable. And a ton of credit needs to go for to Dan Campbell for at least keeping that buy-in. And it might take a few years, but they have fully bought into this guy. And I think they will for years to come. I really like him as a coach. I'm excited to see more of them. Uh, I'm excited to see Detroit hopefully turn the corner. They're also one of those franchises that, Stafford was there and with Megatron, they were great. But before that, when we were growing up, like they weren't really good at all after Barry and, and they had a couple good years there, but they're definitely back to, um, you know, being irrelevant really. And I, I hope they get back to at least competing for a division title and, and, and a, a 500 season. Yeah. You know? it, it's remarkable that and I, I will always find this funny, but the lions have been so bad that they forced out, two of the greatest skill position guys, Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson, two hall of famers into retirement early because they were just that bad. Um, And you could argue like if you're picking an all-time team that those two guys might be on the all-time team of everyone in the NFL. Yeah. Like I think they both were on the NFL 100 last year. Yeah. Like they would be, I'm talking. Yeah. And it's just, Oh my God, they're so good. Yeah. I mean, Barry Sanders. I mean, again, it's one of the most fun highlight tapes to watch. Uh, And then the other thing too is, with this win and the fact that, uh, you know, they had the tie and everything, they finish ahead of Jacksonville. So they have the two overall pick. Jacksonville has the first overall pick. And for all of the Michigan fans who want Aiden Hutchinson to go to Detroit, now I personally believe that Aiden Hutchinson probably shouldn't be a top two pick. Uh, I think a first rounder for sure. I just don't think – I mean, the way he got absolutely bodied – by Georgia's offensive line and in tackles in that uh, CFP semifinal game. That's not really indicative of a guy who's going to go on and, and be great in the NFL, because it's one thing when you're lined up against Purdue and, and even Penn state who has had quality offensive linemen, you're going up against NFL guys in the sec. And when they went up against Georgia, he, uh, he struggled a bit there for sure. And yeah. I, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I think that the other, you know, takeaway um, is for Green Bay. I, I was just surprised at the because obviously they had their own situation, right? Like like Aaron Rodgers played some, Jordan Love played. Um, I didn't like what I saw from Jordan Love yet. I mean, and it's yeah. his first game playing, and it was against the Lions. Who were well, no, remember he hard, started against the Lions. He or, yeah, started yeah. that game against Kansas City earlier in the year. That's right. And, and like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I didn't love it. It's, it's a small sample, but what did you think? Disappointing um, for a guy who's been in the NFL for, you know, this is his second season, obviously playing speed and NFL speed and everything else. Like actually in a game is a lot different. Um, we've seen him look good in the preseason, but as I always say, the preseason doesn't mean anything. I, 
you know, they see these guys playing in practice all the time. Like Mike Zimmer got a lot of heat because they were like, well, why haven't, you know, some reporter asked him like, why haven't we seen Kellen Mond yet? You know, uh, why wouldn't you want to go see him out on the field? But Mike Zimmer's response was great. And he said, I see him every day at practice. And we often forget that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like Mike right? Matt LaFleur sees Jordan Love playing every single day in practice. And if he's still good enough to be the backup, then that means he sees something in him. Something that, you know, again, he's had one career start. He's played a game and a half, basically, in the NFL. It's too early to really make any sort of main assumptions. He made a couple of nice plays. Uh, he's definitely a good athlete. The arm talent's there. But I think the speed NFL game, plus you're going up against a team that's like re like playing balls out, you know, I, I think he hasn't looked great to this point. Um, but the talent's there. So I, I just think if they do decide to move on, from Rodgers this year, which if I'm Green Bay, I'm doing everything in my power to not let that happen. And it'd be amazing if they win a Super Bowl and he still decides to leave. Um, but it seems like this year, at least, that Rodgers really loves being in Green Bay still. Like he, he's talked about it a bunch of times about how much he loves it. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It, it's um, You don't feel great as a Packers fan from what you've seen from Jordan Love, but it's also way, way too small of a sample size to really tell. Yeah. Uh, Bears, Vikings – this is the, you know, I said this on Friday's pod and I called it the coaches getting fired bull. You know, this is, this is Matt, Matt, Matt Nagy, Mike Zimmer. Um, and, and we talked about at the beginning of the season, Vito, about Mike Zimmer. And we talked about, Hey, it, you know, if this season doesn't end up going great, is this going to be the end of it? And I, I did this with Scotty probably um, two or three weeks ago. I, I pulled up the records from the last four years since Matt Nagy's been in Chicago and, uh, Mike yeah. Zimmer's been in, in Minnesota and they're eerily similar. In fact, you can make the argument that, you know, the coach of the year award that's on Matt Nagy's shelf, which people forget 2018 coach of the year, Matt Nagy, <laughs> when he took Mitch Trubisky, that was the double doink year. Um, oh my God. You know, the, the, you could make the case that the, you know, Matt Nagy and the bears have actually been slightly better. Um, you know, the Vikings had the, the super or the NFC championship run, but I said this too, Think about this, Vito. The only re everyone always says that, like, oh man, they had the Vikings right on the precipice of the Super Bowl. They would have played it in their own home stadium. Like that Vikings team was good. Do you remember how the Vikings got into the NFC Championship game that year? I don't. It was the Minnesota Miracle or the Minneapolis Miracle. Case Keenum to Stephon oh, Diggs yes, in the yeah, walk-off yes, touchdown. Yes. Yes. After the guy from the Saints just made in one of the most boneheaded plays I've ever seen. And he just completely sold out and all the safety. And this is the last play of the game. And Stefan Diggs takes it and runs it all the way to the end zone, takes the helmet off, throws it off. So they're like one horrible blown coverage away from not being able to, you know, actually be in this game at all. Uh Oh, breaking news. Uh, we're joined right now. Oh, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> this is going to look really, this is going to sound really dumb. I might have to go back and edit this out. Um, <laughs> For those running, Scotty just popped up on our Zoom in a car. He's driving home from work, and I thought he was going to tune to uh, join us here for a little bit, but I guess, I guess not. Um, we'll we'll let you know if Scotty comes back. Uh, but yeah, so like that was how razor thin the difference was from the Vikings getting to the NFC Championship game. And again, not to say that that was a bad Vikings team; it was a good, very good Vikings team, but they were also like a boneheaded play away from not even making the NFC championship game, which again, makes them look even worse. Plus they got the shit kicked out of them in that game in Philly uh, with Nick Foles after they went up seven, nothing. And, and we all know how that season ended. So um, just crazy, man. Like 
Mike Zimmer stability, but the upside wasn't there. I think it had grown stale. I think he was seemed like he was just kind of over it. Like he was kind of over being the coach there and he can go with his 25 year old girlfriend and uh, have a, have a good time. Um, from two coaches that did get fired to one coach that is inexplicably still hired by an organization, uh, Washington football team and New York giants, uh, the Washington football team wins 22, seven, again, not a whole lot here to, to take away from the game, except for the fact that Joe judge on back-to-back plays from his own 10 yard line ran QB sneaks on second and 10 and third and nine ran a back-to-back QB sneaks because he was so unconfident in Jake Fromm not giving up a safety because they had done that the week before. And in the press conference, Joe judge literally said, we were afraid that we would get a safety and Dave Gettleman announced he's retired. So there's going to be a new GM, but how is Joe judge still employed? I think that's it. I think because they're looking for a GM, (laughs) but they already said he's coming back. December after the the, Did they? the Christmas they, weekend, they the the Mara family well, said he's coming back. I guess I guess here there's two things. One, I don't. I mean, I think it's dumb, but it, it, he hasn't been there that long, right? Like he does still have like that that I I believe coaches deserve a couple of years, and I, so maybe they're just giving him the benefit of the doubt there. But um, I don't know, man. That that decision to run multiple times that's dumb. I mean. Not just run professional football. Well, just a professional. Exactly. Like you're a professional football team. You got to be able to get out of your own end zone. If that's really the only way you can do it, then like your team's in a lot worse shape than you, than like you think. It's not even like they were on their own one. They were on their own 10. Yeah. That's, that's, you you can't, the quarterback sneak is wild. Yeah. And it was in like the, like the early fourth quarter too. Like it was just, and it was a game that was like a one possession game still. I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think a lot of us do with the Maras just don't like to fire, move on from head coaches. And they went from Coughlin. They, you know, fired him after a long stretch there, two Super Bowls. They hired uh, the greaser. What was his name? Ben McAdoo, right? With the yeah. slicked back hair, they hired him. Then they hired Pat Shermer. That doesn't work out. And then, you know, they go with these, these two last years with Joe Judge. And, you know, we talked about this in training camp. You know, this whole making the coaches run and the team has to go run laps when they screw up. And everyone found it so endearing, like, oh, look at this football guy. And I'm like, the team's going to hate this. Like, the, if there's one thing we've learned, it's that NFL guys hate being treated like they're like high school kids or college kids, which we saw with Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly tried to micromanage what NFL players were eating and what they were drinking and his smoothies and all that shit. Mm-hmm. We saw it, uh, you know, we, we've seen it multiple times. We saw it this year with Urban Meyer. You know, like you can't treat NFL players like they're college kids. It just doesn't work. You have to treat them like grown men, like adults. And Joe Judge apparently wants to treat his kid, you know, his players like they're like they're kids. Like he's coaching a high school team. You make coaches run laps. Like I I said it then. This is going to blow up. Like this Joe Judge thing was not going to work out because of that reason. You just can't treat these kids like they're like they're are these kids. You can't treat these men like they're kids. Yeah. It, it hasn't worked. Like you said, there, there's a actually a great um, clip of uh, Chuck Knoll in their first Super Bowl playing the Vikings. And Bud Grant was a coach back then in the 70s. But he like Bud Grant uh, had the team staying at a hotel away from they were in the Super Bowls in New Orleans and they're all away. And he had bed checks and Chuck 
Noel just told the players, like, get, your, get the city out of your system, go have fun, do what you need to do, just be ready for Sunday. And the Steelers came out and, and they won the game. Yeah. Um, and and uh, anyway, they, they always associate that. And I always think about that. You're right. Like you, you have to let people be people, mm-hmm. right? Like you can, you can help focus them in a direction, but if you let them be the most that they are, you're going to get the most out of them. And, and uh, I, I think that's the difficulty with a lot of college coaches coming to the NFL. Yeah. I mean, they're professionals. They make millions of dollars. Treat them that they way. They make more than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the team does make more than you treat them that way. And I think, I honestly think the Maras are, you know, they want the Maras and the giants want to be like Pittsburgh. You know, they want to have three head coaches in 50 Dude, years. Like speaking of which, can I mention the fact that I think I've talked about this before football royalty exists in Kate Mara, the actress, because she's the daughter of, uh, and her sister is an actress too, is named Rooney Mara because she's the daughter of the Mara family and the Rooney family. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. I, I like don't Rooney think I ever Mara realized that Kate Mara was, I don't think yeah. I ever realized Kate Mara was related to the Mara family. I love her. Yeah. She's great. She, I love her too. Just watch the Martian. That's my new new year's tradition. I decided this year. Love that. Great yeah. movie. Yeah. I was just like, I was funny. Cause during the, during the pandemic and going into 2021, my, my old roommate and I was just the two of us. And so we went, we got a couple bottles of champagne. We had some beer at the house and uh, we were like, Hey, let's just watch a movie. Like we couldn't do anything. And uh, we were the only two home. And I said, I was like, hey, have you seen The Martian? It's like one of my all-time favorite movies. He's like, actually, I haven't. And I was like, we're watching The Martian. Yeah. So we watched The Martian. We're drinking. Then the ball drops and we popped the champagne and we had a fun night. And for New Year's this year, like we were keeping it pretty low key. And I was just like, I'm going to make this a thing. Just like every year, I'm just going to watch The Martian on New Year's and New Year's Day. Because I just. It's a just, great movie. It's a fantastic movie. Um, Enough Martian talk. Actually, I could talk about the Martian for a long time. Um, those are the games that were really inconsequential, like really didn't have any sort of potential impact um, to the games that did. And by far, the one that caused the most chaos was the Indianapolis Colts getting the shit kicked out of them by the Jaguars <laughs> was not on my week 18 bingo board. Um, 26 to 11. Trevor Lawrence looked great. And Carson Wentz, I said this to you in one of in, uh, in the break. On, there's two different QBRs. There's the one that goes up to 156.7, and then there's mm-hmm. the there's the one that's out of a scale from zero to 100. 50 being average, 100 being incredible. Carson Wentz in this game was a four. <laughs> he literally had a four. I, I mean, he did not throw a single. And again, to his credit, had zero road interceptions all season. Was a great game manager. But this is what happens when you when you take a guy who has a ton of talent and is mentally broken, and then you try to turn him into a game manager while you rebuild him, the second you need him to go out there and win you a game, he couldn't do it. They were down three scores, and Carson Wentz had to be great, and he threw two interceptions in this game after not throwing a single road interception all season. The Jaguars came out with attitude, came out with something to prove, and at the very least, and by the way, did you see that this was also labeled the clown game? No, there was so there was a whole movement. Um, oh, to clown Sean, out, yes, yeah, to clown out Jacksonville, and there was a to, whole to clown movement. out their GM. They wanted their yeah. GM out, and they think he's a clown. And yes, so on I, Twitter, I they took the clown emoji and they put the the mustache, the Shad Khan curly mustache on it, because uh-huh. you know the owner of the he's got that yeah. like Monopoly guy kind of yeah. mustache, and all Jacksonville fan at all, but a lot of Jacksonville fans were making that their avatar on Twitter. And it became this thing. So then it turned into, well, now we got a clown out the stadium. So this is literally a clown game. 
and the Jaguars won. <laughs> and he was asked about it, Trevor Lawrence, and his response after the game about how do you feel about it being like a clown out game, basically. And he was like, I get it. He was like, he's like, we obviously didn't live up to our expectations this year. And we thought we were a better football team than we, than we showed, but you know, like if I was a fan, I I'd be just as frustrated. I probably would have tried to do the same thing, which I love that from Trevor Lawrence. And I love the fact yeah. that Trevor Lawrence ended the season on such a great note because they're going to go out there and get a new head coach. I've said for a while, Doug Peterson's the perfect guy. He lives in Florida. He's from Louisiana. He's around that area. He gets it. Um, and he's a stabilizer. You know, he's going to bring in the right people. He's not going to bring a strength coach who just got fired from Iowa based, you know, for, for racial um, issue. I don't even know what exactly to call the whole thing with uh, the old Iowa strength coach, but you know, basically racially insensitive comments that got him fired. And there was a whole court case and all everything about it. And yet that's like one of the first hires urban Meyer made. You know, like Urban Meyer, just distraction after distraction. You're not going to get any of that with Doug Peterson. You're going to get a guy who's going to come in, stable the franchise. And, you know, for everything we say about Carson Wentz now, before the injury in 2017, you know, he's playing great football. Even his rookie year, he played good football. And a huge part of that had to do with Doug Peterson, the way that he can develop quarterbacks. You give Trevor Lawrence a guy like Doug Peterson to help him develop. But, the uh, you know, not to no, I, take away I from I love it, that the main, too. The main story here is just I can't believe the Colts blew this game. Winning well, I, I in against say, the worst team in football. And they didn't it's I, I don't even think they blew, they blew the opportunity but like they they came out flat. Jacksonville just dominated this game which was crazy to see. Mm-hmm. And you're right Trevor Lawrence played well. They had a different energy about him. Good for them. I think in his career they're going to look back, you know, Peyton Manning had a 3 and 13 start in his career and uh he set the record for interceptions at the time by a, a rookie quarterback and he thinks he still holds it and like as you're going through this, you realize that, uh, or he realized that like it all turned around at one game late in his first year. And I think they could point to this because Trevor Lawrence just beat a team to keep them out of the playoffs. Like they were a playoff bound team mm-hmm. and he beat them. The Jaguars beat them as then their defense played a great game. And now they're looking for a coach. They have the number one pick. They have their quarterback of the future. A lot of Jacksonville fans are saying this is this is the lowest point of their franchise. They never had a number one pick till last year. Now they got back to back. Yeah, but I, I think the future is pretty good. Like you said, you got Doug Peterson. I love Byron Leftwich. Obviously, Byron Leftwich would be a great pick. Yeah, incredible. But it, they have options. They have things to be excited about. So you know, if you're a Jacksonville fan, I, I think this is honestly the best way to end your season. You won. You kept the number one overall pick somehow because, because the Lions Detroit ended won. up winning. Yeah, <laughs> and and you get this awesome statement win for your rookie quarterback. Yeah. And Scotty texted us and I kind of poo-pooed it and I didn't mean to be a dick about it, but he, you know, he was like, is there any way Frank Reich loses his job? And and to me, Frank, I mean, this team was down four out of their five offensive linemen. Quentin Nelson missed the majority of the season in and out of the lineup with injuries. Uh, the defense, which is not overly talented, they lost two of the starters in the secondary for season ending injuries. Darius Leonard's awesome, but you know, the rest of that defense really wasn't all that talented. Uh, Okereke is a good linebacker, but for the most part, we're not talking about like an insanely talented defense here. And they were able to make the most of this team and and get them to a point where, Hey, you got to win this game. I haven't been following the in-season hard knocks that they've been doing with the Colts, but I forget who it was on the Jaguars. Somebody tweeted a player. It was Jamal Agnew tweeted out and said, man, that last episode of hard knocks is going to be really sad. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I I think it will be. Um, 
the next game, Steelers Ravens. Wow, we were close to getting another tie. Oh my god, dude! Um, I know. Let's let's get into this. The real first quick. of the the first of the almost ties. Big Ben somehow does it, leads down, scores the touchdown drive to to keep them in it. You know, mm-hmm. before they end up tying and forcing the overtime. I mean, that was huge. And then you knew Justin Tucker was going to bury the field goal to send it into overtime. He does. Uh, and then it was just, you know, they make a stop, they go down there and then, you know, Najee Harris, you know, how awesome is he? He had the second most carries all time in a season, 358. I believe the number was zero fumbles. That's incredible. Zero fumbles. And and look, I still don't love the pick because I, you know how I feel about drafting running backs in the first round, but the dude's Mm -hmm. a gamer. There's, I mean, I, and I love the player. Like I love Najee Harris. I just would not draft them in the first round, especially when your offensive line was as bad as, as the Steelers was. But look, they played well enough, and now they're in the playoffs. Somehow, the Steelers made the playoffs. This game was back and forth when it went to overtime, and it was it was everyone was talking about Big Ben's last game, unless the Jaguar and the Jaguars had already, you know, because this was the afternoon session, right? Like this is a four o'clock game. Am no, this is right? one o'clock. One o'clock. No, it was so. one o'clock. I'm sorry, but but at this point, when they were in overtime, you knew the Jaguars because yeah. the Jaguars are up all day, so it was yeah. really wild. Like tuning into this game, knowing like, okay, Pittsburgh still has a chance. Big Ben could make one last playoff run. Which, whatever you think of Big Ben, a guy of this of his caliber and of his history, like I like to see a guy like that at least have a chance at the playoffs, right? Um, and I'm glad to see that, but it was, it was so close because it was like, man, what if, what if these teams tie? And we almost had like, it was another, it would have been the perfect way for the Steve, for big Ben's career to end because big Ben is just an objectively hilarious, like guy, like you go back to like young big Ben with the backwards hat and the goatee, you know, (laughs) and all the injury stuff with him and the picture of him with all of the The motorcycle. Yeah. yeah. And like the picture of the ice bags on every, every joint, every part of his body. Like, you know, I know part of my take and other people have made the joke. He's like, he's like the puppy that like, you know, pretends to be hurt to get attention almost like there's a little (laughs) bit of that in big Ben, but objectively, like some of the time, like some of his highlight stuff, like through the years and the fourth quarter stuff, like he was just always good. You know, he's now yeah. second all time in game winning touchdown drives. This this one, um, you know, cemented that for him. Like and I think for me, what a lot of perfect like professional coaches, when you hear people talk about other quarterbacks and any quarterback that pump fakes really well, like a full follow through. Oh, my God. Like, oh, it looks like ever. Big Ben and, and uh, Big Ben's identified and I think really trademarked that move as his, which is incredible because every quarterback does it, especially at the professional level. You're trying to pump off safeties and all that. But Big Ben, his pump fake, everyone talks about that. Uh, when you watch other – they're watching other quarterbacks and, and Bill Belichick on, yeah. on NFL Top 100 be like, no, oh, that's a Big Ben pump. Like, he's got yeah. a Big Ben in him. Yeah. It's, it's cool. It's cool for and, a quarterback to have that identity. And he was so hard to bring down. Like, anytime you see a quarter yeah. – and same thing with any time it's a big-body quarterback that's like, man, it's hard to bring this guy down. Same yeah, thing with like Big, Big ben. ben. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love big guys who are just naturally athletic and don't work out. Like, he was also, like, an insanely good basketball player. Like just he was an insane athlete across the board and hyper competitive, but you look at him and he's fat cheeks and his weird goatee and you're just like this is just a hilarious looking human being, but unbelievable career and it keeps going though I, I don't know how how much longer it'll keep going, <laughs> as I believe they play Can- Kansas City. Is it, who do they play in the first? I have the I have the playoffs it up is here. Me um, too. Yeah, they play Kansas City Sunday night. They do. So we'll we'll see him try to you know do a little more Big Ben magic, but um. 
just a great way to end. And again, need it, you know, damn near almost didn't make it. We'll get to the Sunday night game to, to wrap it up. Um, Tennessee and Houston, the Texans, man, Davis Mills making a case to make Deshaun Watson, who uh, has played really well. His numbers over the last four games are really impressive. It's like 900 yards, 68% completions, I think six touchdowns and like one interception, like really, really nice. solid numbers over his last four games. Um, but the story here and, and coming out of this game is, is the job that the Tennessee Titans have done. Um, I never thought we would be in an age where a five loss team would be the one seed in the AFC, but especially a team that lost to the jets, you know, and, and lost to the Texans earlier this year. But, you know, when they lost Eric Henry, you know, we all kind of counted them out myself included. And I figured they'd make the playoffs. I did not think they'd have a chance at a one seed and reportedly Derek Henry is going to be back for their first playoff game in two weeks. Uh, Deontay Foreman has been awesome. Or Dante Foreman has been awesome for them as a supplement back, which it's nice that way you don't have to, you know, Derek Henry doesn't have to come back and take 30 carries. He can come back and take 15 carries and Dante Foreman can take 15. You're still getting that threat of Derek Henry, um, AJ Brown, Julio Jones, you know, Julio, had a, had a couple of nice plays in this game. Um, just a really, really good coaching performance here uh, by, by Mike Rabel. And, and, and honestly, too, the guy who's not going to get the credit uh, from this team and never will because of Derrick Henry, but Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. You know, like he, I, he's I get played it. a great season, like, man. He's not, he's not Dak. He's not a top five quarter. He's not Mahomes. He's not any of those guys, but he's just a good quarterback, man. And from where he was in Miami, to have this kind of career and they gave him the big contract, you look at it and you're like, you know what? It's worth it because he played games without Julio Jones and without AJ Brown, without Derrick Henry, with a banged up offensive line, and they still found ways to win. And in the NFL, that goes a long way. He's just, he's a really talented guy. Everyone knows, you know, he played wide receiver in college for a little bit and everything. And, and he's a great talent. I'm really happy for him. I think it's naturally people always do this, right? When a team gets on top, like the chiefs or the warriors we've talked about, right? Like you want to see them kind of fall. Um, when someone, you know, gets moved on, you could say, so like when Tannehill left Miami and went to Tennessee, it was kind of like, man, that's a good fit. Like hopefully he does something well, like I really hope well for him and right. You kind of get the opposite sentiment. And I think it's just really uh, a good story for the NFL. If you've been watching Tannehill's career, He's a guy I've grown to root for. I have no mm -hmm. reason why, but it's just like, man, I've I like him. Yeah, yeah and, I always and liked him. My, I, my life for him grew, and, and I think Derrick Henry coming back. I mean, imagine if Derrick Henry comes back fully healthy. I don't know exactly what that looks like, right? Because yeah. you kind of got to get used to the contact Even again, just like but 85% of Derrick Henry, you know, enough, the difference man. that makes. <laughs> yeah, and just the way yeah. that defenses have to adjust to it. You know, you have to respect it, if nothing else, and, and what that does in your passing game. You know, even like hitting guys like Ferkser, like Ferkser's not an amazing tight end, but he's he's good. You know, like Ferkser would like Ferkser's a guy you could see on New England, you know, and being like an impact player on New England. Right. You're like, man, this guy caught like two touchdowns in, in an AFC championship game for the Patriots. Um, just a really solid player. And then obviously, yeah, you have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Julio still got a little bit left in the tank and this and, and to the defense. Like, again, defense, it's been banged up. They've had injuries all year. They've had covid outbreaks. And yet they've played well enough to win games and 12 and five this year gets you the one seed. And, you know, they won the games they needed to win. I think they beat, didn't they beat Kansas city too um, earlier in the season? Like I'm pretty sure they spanked Kansas city in Nashville um, and Derrick Henry just like went off. Uh, yeah. They won 27 to three 
at home yeah. against the Chiefs. They beat the Bills. That's right, because they beat the Bills the week they before. Did. Chiefs, Colts, Rams, Saints. What a run there um, mm-hmm. for, for the for the Titans. And uh, at least a couple of those games they did without Derrick Henry. So yeah. credit to the, uh, the Tennessee Titans there on a win. And Texans, you know, you'll get a, a King's Ransom for Deshaun Watson somewhere. I don't know where it'll be. Um, but the asking price has now increased as Davis Mills has played well. And maybe you just reset it. You bring David Colley back, who should get at least two years. Um, it, he should not be a one and done, and, and we'll see what happens. Um, Saints-Falcons, this game could have meant something if the uh, if the Rams hadn't blown a, a huge lead. It was, was it 17-0 lead they blew against, um, against the Niners. Uh, but instead, it doesn't mean anything because the Niners did win um saints i i don't really know where you go here from here i mean i would think you know Jameis comes back but off the acl you know do you go out and try to draft a, a quarterback maybe in the mid first round that's when a lot of these guys are going to come off the board this whoa, year whoa, whoa. no Jameis is the answer everyone you got to know that uh, Jameis is the guy i for think all teams <laughs> i think sean i think what they probably do is Jameis will come back and they're going to take a chance on like a guy like Malik Willis, a project. Yeah. Sean Payton I wants agree. a project, a high upside, really talented player who maybe is still a little raw that he can kind of mold. And I think Malik Willis, you know, he can basically do some of the stuff that Taysom does running the ball because he's built like a freaking defensive end. He's in a, he's by far the best athlete, um, at least at the quarterback position coming into the draft. So you could, maybe they take a chance on him in like the second round. You bring in Malik Willis. You got crazy talent. You let him sit behind Jameis for a little bit, and then you can do some of that. Like I said, you can do some of that running stuff you do with Taysom, but with significantly better arm talent and way higher upside as a passer. And, and the Falcons, impressive season, all things considered. I mean, I think they have the fifth worst point differential in the NFL, and yet they won seven games. <laughs> I mean, wow. That is, that is really weird and probably more of a, an anomaly. Um, but – I, I mean, I like Arthur Smith. I, I would, I would like to see. I'll be honest. I would like to see Matt Ryan traded this offseason. I, I really? would like to see him go to a contender because um, I think he still has a lot of good football left in him. I do too. Like, I would love him at the Broncos. I would love to make a move. I would. Yeah, I, I mean, like, that'd be a great landing spot. Yeah, and especially this late in his career, what, what people um, who maybe aren't that into contracts and trade value and draft picks uh, might not understand is that like when you're older and you're in your career, you're later in it, right? Like Matt Ryan is, you don't necessarily have to trade a number one. Cause they're, they might project the Falcons that he has two good years left in them. That's yeah. not worth as much as a guy who's 27, 28. That's playing that well. Right. So you can get a lot of good value in trading a draft pick for a young player to trade to Matt Ryan, especially what I would love to see is a draft day trade. If some of these quarterbacks, you know, there's, there's not many great quarterbacks this year. You were talking about this earlier. Like there's not this, a Trevor Lawrence prospect that you've been waiting for for years. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we'll get some builds of the draft, but I wouldn't be surprised if this off season, we see some trades like this, like we saw Stafford last year because of some of the quarterback, first of all, needs in the NFL. Like you just, you need one. If you have one, it's great. If you don't, you don't. And that promotes a lot of this trading, especially with a, a you know, a less than stellar draft class. Um, yeah, I the Broncos would be a very fun spot for for Matt Ryan to land, um, mm-hmm. especially considering that yeah, there's a lot of good talent on that team already. You know, all they need you know plug and play quarterback. Maybe you don't get yeah. Rodgers. You know, hey, 
get Matt Ryan. He can do some stuff for you. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, it's interesting. It's making me think. I mean, I'd said for a while, you know, San Francisco, right? Yeah, you know, with, yeah. with Kyle, reunite him with Kyle Shanahan from his MVP season because uh, Shanahan was the offensive coordinator that year for Atlanta, but they just mm-hmm. drafted Trey Lance and you still have Jimmy G. So, you know, what's re- unless you are that already out on Trey Lance and Arthur Smith wants to try to, you know, make a trade that involves Trey Lance, you know, I don't see it there. The other teams that could use him, like Carolina or New Orleans, I don't think we're going to see the Falcons trading him in the division here either no, and have to no, play him no, no. two times a year. So <laughs> it, it's an interesting question because I don't know where a good landing spot would be other than Denver, um, just at least off the top of my head here. I'm sure I might be able to come up with an, with an, at least another potential option, but I don't know. Is, any, is anywhere else kind of screaming for you? I mean, not really. I mean, people said, I, I think I heard the Steelers once as I was talking about this yesterday, but Steelers, I think, he's from Pennsylvania too. He's from yeah. like Harrisburg area, Washington football team. Yeah. That would be, that would be, be a good one. Um, but I think, yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe the Browns, maybe the Browns make a trade Baker to for Matt Ryan. I don't know. I don't know what you do there. That would be, an, that would be an interesting trade. Yeah. Um, Cause he wouldn't, he would also not have to do a whole lot there either, but he likes to play the shotgun. It would be a weird fit with uh, Stefanski. Um, yeah. Jets Bills was kind of close at first. It was 10-7 at one point. And then the Bills just kind of decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take this game over. Um, how far does how far can Buffalo go? What's their ceiling? They won the I think AFC they can win the Super Bowl. I think they can win the Super Bowl with the talent with just because of Josh Allen. He's got to play an elite, amazing game, but I really believe that they can get to the Super Bowl. He's got to play out of his mind. To get yeah, to but the Super I mean, Bowl. he's in the AFC and it's, I just think but they that, also have Tennessee the week. So that because they're the four seed, they have to, first of all, they have to beat new England this weekend. Yeah. That's hard enough, but which is awesome. I love the fact that we yeah. have Pat's bills on Saturday night. Um, but if they win, then yeah, they would play the winner or they would play uh, Tennessee in, in the divisional round, which is a very winnable game. And then all of a sudden you're in the, you know, you're in the AFC championship and, and who knows, but, you know, they he would have to string together a few games. Now, look, since the, the couple of weeks there where they're a little shaky, it does seem like they've, you know, centered the ship a little bit. They've calmed. They've ridden out the storm. Um, but, yeah, they need to put together an impressive couple of weeks here. I, I, I guess, yeah, I, I could see the Bills being good enough to win the Super Bowl. I agree. I do think the talent's there. Um, realistic ceiling to for them, though, is probably the AFC Championship game. But, again, like I was saying before – the AFC feels so wide open because even the Chiefs feel like they're beatable. We just saw Cincinnati do it in a game when both teams were were going all out to win that game in Cincinnati, and and Joe Burrow found a way to you know to kind of take it over the top there. It, I don't know. We can get, again. We'll get more into this stuff on Friday show. Um, Niners Rams, the second of three overtime games in this uh, wild Week 18. Um, Sean McVay running down to celebrate an end zone of the touchdown. Is that a hard-o move? I love that. I think it's I a little bit. I think it's, I think it's a little bit of a hard-o move. Maybe, I guess. But it was just, it was one of those moments too when you saw it. If you're watching Red Zone, you definitely saw it, or, or I'm sure hopefully you've seen the clip. <laughs> the funniest part was when it happened. I, I had my buddy James over who's in our fantasy league yep. and everything. And, and we're watching the games and we kind of look at each other like, I don't think I've ever seen that. And you know, they have that new camera in the end zone the last few years, the 4K, super yeah. high quality. Yeah. And as they're going and showing it, it's like, 
McVay was out there greeting the player, like giving him a shake. And he was like, whoa, wait, what? Like, I hadn't yeah. seen that before. And the ref's kind of telling him. I was like, going to say, the ref, like, kind of yeah. pulled him out of there, too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's kind of a hard-o move. I, but also, I think that's kind of Sean McVay's brand as being a hard-o. Yeah. Like, Sean McVay was definitely the dude who went way too hard in gym class. Yes. It's 100% or nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it, yeah, I agree. Um, no, I think the storyline from this is, is he finally – we saw the snap of a legendary streak that I don't know if we'll ever see again with McVay. McVay had won. Um, let me rephrase before, before I say this, Matt, uh, uh, Matt, I, just, I know I got a Matt McVay. Um, so I always <laughs> end up doing that. But Sean McVay when leading at halftime was 45 and Oh, really this game, which I think is just the most ridiculous stat in the NFL with how many fourth quarter comebacks there are. Think of all these quarterbacks who have like wow. 40 or 50, 60 quarterbacks. That's an you know, incredible comebacks. stretch. Wow. Yeah. I did not he know that. He was 45 and 0 as a coach when leading at halftime. And this is the first, it went until, it took till overtime, but he was defeated when, when having a halftime lead. Um, so that, that is, I think one of the most incredible stats. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again. Absolutely. And, uh, and just, just uh, couldn't believe that it happened in this game and it's fashion. It was, um, the, the Rams are, are, are heart attack f- fuel, man. Like I, yeah. I, 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 I guess I, th- I think we all over, yeah. I think we all overestimated how good Matt Stafford would be because of how good he's looked, but also coming into the season and, you know, again, the, the whole issue with, well, the, it's the lions, you know, and he gave everything he had to Detroit and he comes here. And I think we forget that like, he's also probably not the player he was at his peak. Still has unbelievable arm strength. Still has the, you know, a lot of guys who played in the NFL say like the the way he throws the ball, there's just a zip to it that no other quarterback has, even like Mahomes. Like he just has something, there's something about him in the way he can throw a football that is just objectively unique. And the Odell Beckham thing has been huge for them. Uh, and, yeah. and losing Robert Woods is hurt, but Odell's at least helped soften that blow. Amazingly enough, Cam Akers playing in this game. Cam Akers tore his Achilles in july actually i think I it might have been later that. than that i can't i don't know that the the fact of some of these players and how they come back modern especially medicine, i think adrian man, peterson dude, like it was that adrian peterson time when he tore yeah. his acl and, then and he came, came back, back next in season no but it was he had come back in 10 months and everyone thought yes. it was the most or, uh, uh, 10 months 11 months whatever but everyone thought it was the most insane thing ever and now it's like that's like the common timeline like yeah, it, it's, it's modern medicine, dude. it's crazy. Um, I, the Rams, again, another team with all the talent in the world. They remind me a lot of the bills. Like yeah. it, they're just like yeah. their ceiling could be Super Bowl. It could also be losing in the first round. You know, they got to play Arizona on that Monday night game, which I'm kind of bummed that both of those teams are, are going to be one of those two teams is going to be out, you know, opening opening weekend of the playoffs. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting it, they're a very talented team. Obviously, we know the defense. We know Aaron Donald. We know how good those guys are. Uh, but they have games like this where it's like they had something to play for here. They had a chance to be the two seed, and they blow it. And as an Eagles fan, I was actually like – I sent a text to you guys like, am I crazy for counting one to play Tampa Bay? Because Tampa Bay almost lost the, the Jets last week. And then they were – it was close against uh, – well, who was – the uh, yeah, it was uh, – they were up – they were down seven, nothing. And then it was 10 to seven at halftime against the Panthers. And I mm-hmm. actually thought like, I don't know, I kind of want to play the bucks. And then they put up 24 in the fourth quarter and you're like, Oh yeah, it's Tom Brady. I actually <laughs> don't want to play that guy in the playoffs. That was a really dumb thing I said. Um, 
But last thing here before we move on to the next game, we're all, I think everybody has hills that they that they die on that they know are dumb. They're like, I, I'm probably stupid for dying on this hill, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's how I am with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, yeah. I know he's not like a world beater. I know he's like <laughs> not really a franchise quarterback, but like Jimmy G or Kirk Cousins, I'd rather have Jimmy G. Like Jimmy G may not put up the same stats that Kirk Cousins does, but what he does do is win big games. He, he took his team to a Super Bowl and was one throw away from beating Kansas City in that Super Bowl. Like, like I'd rather yeah. have the guy with the clutch gene rather than the guy who puts up a bunch of stats and then chokes under pressure or, you know, it hasn't been able to actually get the wins when they need to get them. And, and I know the numbers. I know the advanced numbers. I know it's a dumb thing to say, but, like, I like Jimmy G. Sue me. The dude played with a ligament ripped off his, his bone and broke off part of the bone with it two weeks ago. And he played in this game and won a must-win game to get into the playoffs against a division rival who's are no questionably is a more talented team. And yes, they have the running game, and yes, they have Debo and all the stuff. I just, I, I, I think he just deserves more credit than he gets, if nothing else. Um, and also, Debo Samuel's awesome. Two of my favorite players to watch in the league are both on San Francisco: Debo and uh, George Kittle. All right, I love it. Uh, Pat's Dolphins. Brian Flores gets fired after beating the Pats. Crazy. Um, they got 14-0 in this game. Uh, the Pats, for as hot as they were, I think they are another example of a team that peaked too early. You know, I, I think they 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 found ways to that. That being said, they could go on a run here. I could see them in the AFC Championship game, no question. But yeah, given the, the run game, given the fact that they had the rookie quarterback, given the what they looked like last year with Cam Newton, nothing but praise and and you know, color me impressed when looking at the the 2021 New England Patriots because what a hell of a coaching job by Belichick. He's the best to ever do it. Um, so I shouldn't be that surprised. And yet I still kind of am. I am too. I really am. I think that's a good point because there's a difference between when you have all these great players and you keep winning like that, that takes a different style of coach. That's great. Still, you know, you're still trying to get your team to win, but you have the talent. This team is a little different. Um, like most Bill Belichick teams, they, they play so many different defenses that early on, you know, they're not the best defensively, but then they get on a streak in the middle of the year and their run games start going Mac Jones really hit a streak there, but to end losing the dolphins, it's, it's just this weird. Um, it's a weird, like not trip up, but just the momentum changer going into the playoffs. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want to lose like you're losing, but you're celebrating, but you're not, it's just so it's a weird vibe there and you know when you look at it they've lost three of their last four yeah so it's uh, funny i was literally just about to say that they ended they've yeah. lost three of the last four they lost the colts the bills they beat the jaguars by 40 congrats uh you're you're better than indy uh and then they lost to the dolphins so i think this is a definitely you know a point where as you know as much love as everyone was giving the patriots earlier i think we need to pump the brakes and be like okay they're momentum wise they've slowed down What's going to happen here? They have, you know, the Bills. So that divisional matchup next week we'll get into on Friday's pod. It's, it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. And right now the Bills are a four-point favorite. So they're still getting some respect. Um, they're not quite Rodney Dangerfield yet. But, uh, you know, but when you have Bill Belichick on your sideline, you're always going to get at least some, some respect. Uh, Seahawks, Cardinals, another team, man. The Cardinals, uh, for as amazing as they were, and they started – really rough, you know, second half of the season here. Um, the Kyler Murray thing, as much as, as much fun as he is to watch. And, and again, I love the guy. 
there's another team that's lost three of their last four. Um, they've lost five out of their last, what is that? Seven, six, two, or, yeah. six, or five of the last eight. Um, I, I, again, I, I like Kyler. I am aghast watching him play sometimes, but I'm just never going to get over the size thing because it takes, it's just one play. And I know that's the case for every NFL player, but it's even heightened for him at his build. I like Cliff Kingsbury. I don't have the same vitriol that everyone else has for him because he's handsome and rich and single, and he lives out in this mansion in the middle of Arizona and has this incredible life. Um, I think it's awesome. Go to you, King. And I, I just – I worry for the long term with him, um, but they also might get DeAndre Hopkins back for this playoff game, which, you know, this final stretch, you know, going back in these last, you know, five games, you know, four out of the last five games um, – they didn't have D hop and, and yet they were still in all these games with the exception of the lions game, which is really just a weird, weird game. Uh, and I, I look, I think again, because of Kyler and the, the amazing things he can do, you can never count them out, but going up against the Rams, it's two teams where I'm like, I don't really like, I have no lean on that game yet at all. And we'll get into the specifics on Friday. Um, but the Cardinals, you know, a chance here, they could have, one I mean if the Cardinals had won they would have won the division like that's the difference in this game so again another team that had something to play for especially with the Niners beating the Rams by the way we talked about how competitive this the NFC West would be how about that the the top two teams losing to the bottom two teams in the last week that fucks up the playoffs for both of the top two seeds yeah. you know it, it's impressive that's a division man yeah and and the Seahawks on the other side you know I, I I don't think they're going to move on from Pete Carroll. It's still an option. Like I think they're going to assess the season and probably make, you know, make a decision after that. Because when you look at the games, like once Russell Wilson was like clearly back, like those, those first two games, he didn't look fully healthy with the finger. Um, but once he was fully back and then you include how good, you know, how good they looked in the earlier parts of the season, they probably would have been the inverse of what their record was. They probably would have been a 10 and seven team rather than a seven and 10 team. But again, if Russ is threatening to leave, which it seems again, like he was, you know, he was asked about it and said, you know, I, at this point, I hope I can, you know, I hope to be able to stay in, in Seattle. Well, it's like, dude, that's your call. If you want to leave, they're going to try to trade you or stay there and, and handpick your new head coach. Cause I think at this point he kind of has that power. So yeah. do you think we see Pete Carroll come back next year? Do you, th- let me put it this way. Do we see Pete Carroll there and no Russell Wilson? Do we see Russell Wilson there and no Pete Carroll? Do we see both or neither? I think we see both. I would both like back. to see both. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I, what do you think? I think if Russell Wilson asks to leave, I don't know if there'd be enough time for them to get in the coaching carousel. So I feel like if Russell Wilson leaves, then they will bring back Pete Carroll for one last season. Um, I think Russ is gone. If I'm being totally honest, if I'm Seattle, I would, I would go to Pete Carroll and say, thank you for the years of service. We will say this is a mutual parting of ways. um, And, uh, and we appreciate all you've done here. It just reminds me a lot of the Andy Reid and Philly thing. Like it, I just feels like it's run its course. It's not that Pete Carroll's bad. It's just that it's stale, you know, and sometimes when you have coaches there for a long time, he's the second longest tenured head coach in football right now. I think you just kind of have to cut or third behind Tomlin. I think you just kind of have to cut ties and, 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 and move on. That, that, that would be me, but I'd rather it's easier to replace Pete Carroll than it is replace Russell Wilson. Yes. And so I would devote all my resources to keeping Russell Wilson in Seattle. 
um, and, and then moving on from there. But again, if you, if Russ does want to leave, like move on, then, you know, maybe having a year with a, with a coach to stabilize the things, things. But I also, again, like I would want to know like, Russ, are you coming back or not? Because then if so, then you clean house and you come back fresh next year. And, and, you know, maybe that's where, you know, like a Matt Ryan ends up, right? Like a, a team like that. But I think Matt Ryan would rather go to a, a contender. Um, Bucks, Panthers, the Bucks are good, but still no Antonio, you know, the, the Antonio Brown craziness, <laughs> no Chris Godwin, you know, Gronk is looking like Gronk. Uh, I thought it was cool that, you know, Brady kept those guys. And this was interesting. One of the things people said was Antonio Brown was doing his tour last week. Um, you know, talking about how the, the Bucks hate him and all this shit. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting was that he said that he was mad because he thought the Bucks weren't going to pay him the money he was due for incentives, which like a huge portion of his contract were based off of incentives. Well, did you see what Tom Brady did at the end of that game? Yeah. He kept Gronk and Mike Evans in and got them both their incentives on the year. So yeah. either that was a fuck you from Brady or like Brady's in the business of keeping his guys happy. Oh yeah. Like, so like I, I, it just, again, it makes Antonio Brown look worse and worse. And in his mind, he's some badass, and he's having people telling him how cool he was and how awesome it was that he did that. The reality is it was a flash in the pan moment. And a year from now, we're going to be like, remember when Antonio Brown just like left the field in the middle of a game? Like it's not, yeah. it's going to be so inconsequential and Brady's still going to be leading the bucks to, you know, another <laughs> fucking Super Bowl. And Antonio yeah. Brown's never going to get a call again to play in the NFL. And he's going to be playing in the USFL for fucking Donald Trump. I think one of, I don't know, it, the whole Antonio Brown thing is its own wild scenario, but the incentive piece was interesting. And I love the video. There's a video out there of Brady. Clearly they're telling him like, you're out. And he's like screaming at the coach. He's like, I'm going in and, and just like walks in the field of his helmet. Yeah. He's like, what are you going to do? Go, go chase after Brady. Like, no, it, I mean, he's, and he stayed in, like you're saying to get his guys, his incentives. That was a cool moment. I think, you know, no matter how the Bucks have played, they, they put together a great game here. And he said it was, it was kind of closer earlier. You know, I mean, the, I mean, Carolina went up seven Oh, but it was that wild fourth quarter. And, and I, I just think that Tom Brady had a great game and, and this is what you want going into the playoffs. Um, I think it's just a great boosting game. We, we just talked about a couple teams that lost and, you know, they're on this downward slide and, and Tampa Bay, you know, for all, you know, the things that happened, you know, they, they got shut out five weeks ago. That was yeah. kind of that big moment against the saints. After that, they've won um, three in a row. And uh, you know, I, I think they're, they're back. They scored in those games, 32, 28, 41. I think they're going to be okay, but I think yeah. they needed that loss. Like, I think they're going to back to that saints loss and be like, you know what? It's actually okay. Like we needed to get refocused a little. I'm bit. somewhere in between there because they looked really bad in that Jets game, and so I think I think the Bucks can be had. I don't know if Philly's going to do it, but I think Philly gives them a hard fought game. You know, if Philly plays their ball control style of offense and keeps Brady on the sideline, the defense makes a play or two here. You know, again, it's Mike Evans now. You know, you got to worry about Gronk too. So it's Mike Evans and Gronk really, and then who's the next threat really for that offense? It's Cameron Brate. You know, Cameron Brate's decent tight end, but. You know, we're not talking about pro bowler here, uh, but also it's Tom Brady. So Tom Brady's going to make yeah. it done with the pieces that he has. And even if it's no Chris Godwin, and even if it's Scotty Miller getting involved, you know, I, to me, beating the shit out of the Panthers is more a, a, an over, you know, overreaction from what they did against the Jets, which was not a great, you know, 
they needed a, a drive. I mean, they were a minute or, or, or one yard away from Zach Wilson punching that first down. And all of a sudden, you know, this, the, the Bucks lose that game and it's a totally different conversation. Um, but again, it's Tam, Tom Brady, so I'm not worried about it. Uh, Chargers Raiders to close out the game by far the craziest game. Uh, we were talking beforehand. There was a bet out there that somebody made. Uh, you know, it was like plus 21,000. That was Jags beating the the Colts outright and then a Chargers Raiders tie. And he put a hundred dollars on it and it would have netted him like $20,000, which is just, no more. It was like, it was like 200,000 or something ridiculous. Was it? Yeah. It was it, crazy. It was an unreal bet. And the fact that we were literally potentially at least a Brandon Staley timeout away from that happening, you know, if, and, and look, I think that's been looked at to death at this point. Like people have broken down like, Oh, why do you call it timeout? And Derek Carr said after the game, like that totally changed our mindset. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I think you have to give credit to Josh Jacobs for breaking the, what was it like a 15 yard run to put him into, you know, it would have been a 57 yeah. yard field goal from where they were at. And if they had just made a stop, let the clock run down. I, I think at that point, the Raiders probably would have just punted. They would have. And, and it was all about that run defense and they didn't do any run blitzing. It was kind of strange because they were almost sitting back. Like at one point that it felt like the chargers were like, all right, they're just going to run it here. We're going to let them, but they were getting into field goal range. Like don't even let them do that. Like yeah. play, finish the game out. That's what it seemed like. And I just want to talk about this game because, because everyone who listens to this knows I am very passionate about ties. First of all, I'm passionate because me and my friends go off. Whenever there's a tie, we all call each other. We pop our tie bottles and, uh, and like we have them reserved for just these occasions. Um, we usually take off work the next day. It's a whole deal. And this was about to be the tie of all ties. Cause as the day's building Jacksonville wins, they're up. It's like two, three o'clock. And, yeah. and then someone's running the numbers and you just hear from Twitter or something like, Oh, Jacksonville wins. And there's a tie tonight. Pittsburgh could get like, or like, or Pittsburgh will get in. If, if, someone wins, wins, but yeah, if there's yeah, yeah. a tie, the chargers and the Raiders go. So what could happen? And, and it's and instantly I'm thinking it's a divisional game, which is usually one of like the breakdowns of a tie. I swear to God, like I've, I've followed these enough. A divisional game, usually prime time, either like Thursday, Monday, Sunday night. And uh, and especially with this having all this pressure on it. And then we get to the game and the Chargers push at the end of the game was absolutely incredible. They oh, my God. Five or six fourth down conversions in a row. I have never seen anything like that just to get to overtime. I mean. It was in, and then one was in overtime to get in a field goal range, right? Because they both kicked field goals. Which I is turned also off the game, the dude. Like I stopped Did watching, you? and then I can't. And then you know, I'm like scrolling through Twitter, and I'm seeing like, oh, the Chargers have a chance. I'm like, I'll flip it back on, see if they can make something happen. And then yeah, I sat down for that last drive and watched. And I was like, oh my oh, god, incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, and the, I, the touchdown pass too by Herbert as time expires to send it into overtime alone. I mean, <laughs> it was unbelievable. And and I'll say this too, Vito, like going into the week. If even if just the Raiders and Chargers tied, nothing else happens. They both got in. So like there was yes, talk. There was already talk about about it. like, yes. hey, do they just take a bunch of knees back and forth for sixty minutes and then it ends in zero zero? Which of course that's not going to happen. It's a divisional opponent. It's a rivalry. You want to win. It, it takes out the competitive spirit and all that shit. But to be at that point there at the end, and the Chargers had sent out Linville Joseph, who's like a three technique, like big defensive tackle, um, yeah. basically to plug up the middle. And part of the reason they called the timeout was because earlier in the game, when when the Raiders saw that, they adjusted their game plan and their running attack 
and they were able to kind of gash him on the outside. So part of the reason why Staley called the timeout was he didn't like his personnel. So he called the timeout last second, but there was 38 seconds left on the clock at that point. Like by the time they were getting ready to snap, like that would have been the end of the game if they didn't pick up the first down. I think they would have been content to just let the clock run out or at least, you know, because it's still, if you're the Raiders, you get stopped on third down, it's fourth down. It's a, you know, 57 yard field goal that you might make, you might miss, but there's also the chance that it gets blocked. And then you're risking your playoffs. Like the best thing for them to do was at that point, if they were stuck on fourth down would have been to take the tie. But if they won, then they were going to play Cincinnati. If they tied, they were going to have to play uh, Kansas city. Right. And so for them, they had incentive to win. It's like, they didn't have any incentive. They would have much rather, they would be much rather playing Cincinnati this week than playing Kansas city. But I'll say this. I don't think I've ever seen something get as galvanized on Twitter all simultaneously as this tie was every single person, every sports head on Twitter. Everyone I follow was just like, we need the tie. We need the tie. I need this has to be a tie. And it was, it was really fun to be a part of and watch. And it was just a wild way to finish that game. I, I really wish it would have happened for a couple of reasons. One, because, uh, First of all, that both these teams are in my division. It's always cool to send three teams from your division to to um, for sure. Playoffs. Uh, I also just again, I I love ties because I think they show what's wrong with the overtime rules. I think mm-hmm. if this ended in a tie, I really do believe the NFL would have been like, you know what? Let's relook at making it more like college, um, less of this two point conversion stuff, and maybe go into their original rules in twenty five yeah. and just something different because. It shouldn't be like this. You should be able to end a game. I personally don't believe ties have any place in the NFL. There are things we can do. I don't even care if after two overtimes, you basically go to soccer PKs with like kickers doing horse on the field. Like, I don't care what you do, but there's a way to do it where someone ends in a win. At least do like the 25 yard. Like to me, like, yeah, you do. I would like to see see a 10 minute overtime period, right? Each team gets the ball at the 50 yard line. Instead of the 25, like in college, you get the ball at the 50. So it's not yeah, guaranteed. You got to earn points. a field goal. Yeah. You got to earn a field goal. And then you, and can, then after you get a touchdown. That, it's huge. Yeah. And then after that, if no one scores, then you move it to the 25. And then at least you get some sort of scoring there. Yes. You know, or the 30 or something because the kickers Whatever are better. And at least you add some of that. I, I agree. I mean, but what, what you don't want is to do what we saw in the Illinois and Penn State game where it goes to nine overtimes to kind of to kind of bring this thing full circle to the start. Yes. Of the um, we are running long, so we're going to save the coaching carousel for Friday's pod. It'll give us a little bit of extra meat on that bone as well. Uh, and we'll see if any other coaches end up getting fired this week, which I think is also a possibility. So, um, Vito, so good to have you back, buddy. Um, we hadn't done a Jeff and Vito pod in a while, so it was good, no, to, this was nice. good to break off the rust here and get back into it. Uh, congratulations to Georgia, national champs. Congratulations to the 14 teams in the NFL who will be playing for a potential Super Bowl. And uh, congratulations to all of you guys. You listened to a great podcast today, so pat yourself on the back. Um, For Vito, I'm Jeff. We'll talk to you guys on Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll talk to you then. And as always, and just when you thought we were done, as I wrapped up the the, the pod there, breaking news, Joe Joe Judge out after two seasons with the New York Giants. Good decision. I'm not even going to offer the choice of bad decision to you, Vito. No, this, uh, listen, this organization as a whole needs to uh, get going. You yep. still have Daniel, like you, you got to make some pieces happen here. You've had a lot of high draft picks. You've, you've had 
honestly a surprisingly pretty good defense built up over the last couple of years, your team should be performing better than this. 100%. And, and I, I just think that this is a move where if you're watching the talent and what they should produce on the field, they're not matching. He's not getting all out of them. I always like to see a coach get at least three years Two, I get it in this situation. They've lost a lot of games in two years. Yeah. Kenny Galladay get, gets paid a huge contract. They draft Kadarius Tony in the first round, a combined zero touchdowns for the two of them. And uh, they had a wide receiver catch a touchdown uh, in week 18 against Washington. That was the first touchdown catch since like October 10th. It was like early October, whatever it was by wide receiver. So um, yeah, I would say things need to change. And this is what happens when you, uh, (laughs) when you decide to do QB snakes on your own 10 on second and nine. Yeah. Not really great coaching. All right. Had to throw that in because it literally happened right as we stopped recording. Have a great week. Take it easy, everybody. For real this time.